This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here at Plains FM 96.9. My name is Mark and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who's an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our, our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Thanks, Mark. My name is Mark. I'm also an alcoholic, um, and this is the AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Mark. My pleasure, Mark. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one or three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism and that the alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and to admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with the obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease after having the first drink. The phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind and the mental, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up that first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted their life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12 program of recovery which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. The program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. 
So let's um, meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself and give us a quick sketch of who you are, your age, and how long you've been sober? Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Mark. My name is also Mark, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm, what am I, 56 years old, 57 next January, um, and I've been currently sober for coming up two years. Well, I'm 21 months at the moment. I'll be sober on two years this Christmas Eve, uh, cool. and it's been a long journey getting there, <laughs> a very long one. And what family is you, uh, do you have in your occupation and where you're from? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got, um, I was born into, I was the third of four siblings. Um, my brother sadly passed away a number of years ago, so there's three of us. I'm the only one in New Zealand. Uh, my mother is in Wellington. My other two sisters uh, live in Australia. Uh, I'm uh, in the project management field in the construction industry, which I've been in for a number of years, um, and have been able to miraculously maintain that through a lot of ups and downs with using. Thanks, Mark. So when did you um, begin drinking and how did it progress? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I come from a family with no alcoholics. I mean, there was just love and support and nurture all around me. You know, I was, um, you hear a lot of alcoholics say that they were, um, felt like they were a square peg in a round hole, that they felt like they didn't belong and that life was, they didn't fit uh, into life. That wasn't my case. I had, um, I had a family who was incredibly supportive. I grew up in Wellington and I was born in 66. So um, mum and dad and and my three siblings. But for me, uh, things started to go awry when I was 13. I was sexually assaulted by this guy I just met that particular night. Um, and it threw my compass off a couple of degrees. And about six months later, I was at a friend's place. Um, we were just young kids. We'd never drunk before. There was, I think, might have been some shandy or some sherry or something on the table, and I had a couple of those, and it just set my world alight. <laughs> Everything that I'd, because since the sexual assault, I'd started to feel, uh, for the first time in my entire life, guilt and shame. The emotions, I had no idea what these things were. I, you know, I was just an innocent kid, and so when alcohol came along, and I didn't know what alcohol was. And when I put that in my system, it took care of all those newfound horrible emotions that were going on inside me. So, yeah, that was my start. So how, how did you drink? Like, did you binge drink or daily drink? And how did it, how did you, when did you first feel it became a problem? Um, I, it first became a problem when I was 18. And I used to sit in my bedroom. I had to sort of sleep out at home. And I used to drink cask wine to get to sleep. And I knew that no one else in my family drank that way. In fact, no one else that I knew drank the way I did. So I knew it was a problem. And I gave my auntie a ring who lived in Fielding um, for a whole lot of reasons I won't go into because we just don't have enough time. But uh, And said to her, I've got a drinking problem. And I, so I knew right from, from day one. I didn't try and hide it or, or convince myself it wasn't there. I just knew it. But I couldn't do anything about it. Cool. And what made you realise you needed help? Well, it wasn't until years later. I got into the hotel industry and when I was 18, and um, and that was just wonderful for a budding alcoholic. I mean, it was just it was heaven. <laughs> it was great. Everyone was doing what I was doing, and it was chaos together. Um, and so, But it, the wheels didn't start to fall off for a number of years later when you know the, the jobs had gone, the flash sports cars had gone. I was travelling up and down the country in an old van trying to pretend that I was a hippie and this was a choice when in reality it wasn't, I just couldn't afford anything else. And um, and I couldn't stop using, you know, and that was a terrifying place. Up until that point, I was happy to use, you know. Things were, hangovers are awful and all that sort of stuff, but I didn't want to stop. The, the chaos came when I wanted to stop and I couldn't. And when that happened for the first time, that absolutely terrified me because I thought, shit, I'm, you know, what's going on here? Hmm. This is, uh, and I didn't have an answer. I didn't know AA existed. I didn't, I was, uh, um, you know, 
budding Christian. I hadn't become a Christian. I did years later on, but I, I knew that there was a God of some form, and I sort of tried to turn to that for help, but nothing happened. So mm. um, that's when it turned really hard. I kept drinking and, you know. Any trouble with the law? No, no. More good luck than good management, though. And how did you feel, like, how, in terms of um, ment- uh, negative consequences, in terms of physical, mental, were any declines going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, there was. Uh, physically, not so much. I was still in my, you know, um, mid-twenties, so I was able to, to ride through it. But emotionally, it was really tough. I was suffering from the effects of the sexual abuse. Also, a couple of other instances of that abuse happened um, overseas. It didn't turn physical, but it reinforced all that negative uh, self-talk that I put into myself from the first time. So I was dealing with a lot of that, and I had nowhere to take that, you know, and so I drank, you know, who wouldn't? (laughs) You've got to solve this head problem somehow, and my only solution was to do that. So yeah, emotionally, it was was taking a huge toll on me, but physically, um, not yet. And rock bottom, um, have you had rock bottom? Can you describe what that was like? Yeah, well, I I sort of bounced up and down on rock bottom for quite a while. and I, my first treatment, uh, my first successful treatment, should I say, was in 94. I went th- to Queen Mary Hospital in Hamner Springs. Um, I was living in Fielding at the time, and uh, and I was hanging out with a whole lot of people, most of them considerably older than me, who were right into the drug scene and alcohol scene. And it was just hideous. You know, every day was hangovers till I could drink, which was normally 5 o'clock, um, and then start the procession again. So, yeah, lots of um, just a really... Um, Bad emotional self-talk, and um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good place. And miraculously, I once again I had a an A and D counsellor. Um, I had a, a brief period of sobriety. I was doing I did a couple of meetings, not that it worked, but and she said if you pick up again, I'm going to get to Queen Mary, and I did pick up again. So I went to Queen Mary in uh, May '94, and that's yeah. where the start of the journey of recovery for that period of my life began. Cool. Do you want to tell us how you found your way to your first AA meeting and what AA meeting and what that was like? Yeah, absolutely. I was living in Howick. Our family home was in this place called Howick, or just out um, in Auckland. And I, my first meeting was a Howick meeting, and I rang up and spoke to this guy called Bob, uh, who was an accountant, and um, he was in recovery. And he was a very jovial, happy type of guy. He didn't appear to me to be like your standard alcoholic. You know, the classic case of trench coat and paper bag. So that was the first person I'd come in contact with AA and how was my first AA meeting. Not that I did many, but you know. And how, what were the other AA members like and how did they treat you? Oh, look, it was incredible. It was, um, it was nothing like I expected. Like I suppose a lot of us who first come into the fellowship, you have this preconceived idea of what AA is going to be like and, and who's going to be filling the seats there, you know, and it was nothing like I thought it would be. These were People, they were, in fact, they were laughing a wee bit too much. I thought maybe there was something slightly going on because they all seemed to be happy. I know now that they're free, you know, and um, and so they probably saw me come and drag in my butt and, and, you know, here comes another one. And and so they were um, they were just living life and, and they were loving it. And um, But it didn't take because I, I had a lot more drink to do before I was ready to finally give up. It was 10 years later that I finally got off. And how did you find deal with um, what difficulties and challenges maintaining sobriety within fellowship? How did it help? Look back in the, I, back in those days, it, it really didn't work. My, my first time of uh, getting sober was in, in uh, 1994 when I came to uh, Queen Mary, and then it kicked off. So I came out of Queen Mary, came straight down to Christchurch from Fielding, and um, and I got into AA. So I in Queen Mary it was a very twelve step focused program, and I came out. I got a sponsor. 
and it was meetings every single day and it was working the steps. So what happened for me at that particular time is that my whole life morphed from being very self-focused to being forced into the situation because my life depended on it uh, to do meetings and to generate a, a group of people I knew within the fellowship that I could uh, lean on for support. So what happened over probably that first 12 months I was in AA in Christchurch was um, I met a group of people, we're all similar age doing a similar type of thing and we all had similar, in a similar sort of early recovery scenario and, um, and we used to pick each other up and take us each other to meetings and we would go out for coffees afterwards and it became my, um, my social network. I was working at the time, I was in the uh, newspaper industry um, and I would... Um, it was work in AA, and it was it was exactly what I needed because if I'd done anything less, if I just sort of oh you know did a meeting now and then, I was battling an addiction that was that was bigger than I knew at the time, and if I was a wee bit you know fifty um, percent about it, then I wouldn't have stayed sober. It would have eventually got me and taken me back. But because I did what my sponsor had advised and really got in, they say it's easier to fall off AA than out of it. So be in it, not on it. And so for me to be on AA is, is being the last person at the meeting, the first one to leave, not getting a sponsor, turning up when I want, you know. Being in AA is being committed to it. So having a sponsor, being responsible to go to a home group meeting, uh, being able to help out and do any service work, you know, when that when, when that need um, presented itself. And that's what I did. And it, and it, it was strong enough to override my natural instinct which was when times are tough, you go back to the booze. So I developed this, this support network around me. And, you know, I remember driving to a meeting in Littleton. Um, I was about nine or ten months clean. And I was going across through the tunnel, and, and I registered for the first time this incredibly strange sensation that I was experiencing, and it was peace. And it's the first time I'd had that. And I hadn't just scored a new relationship or a new job or a new car or a new house or anything to achieve that peace. It was just peace. My mind was quiet. I wasn't feeling guilty or remorseful or scared or fearful or anything like that. And it registered for the first time. I'd probably experienced that before that day, but it was the first time it actually registered to me that, wow, this is what they've been talking about. You know, this is the freedom that they say that if you, if you work the steps and do the stuff, this stuff is, is almost guaranteed to happen in your life. So it was a pretty cool moment. How's your life changed since you've become sober? Well, and ran out and side and outside. Yeah, look, it's been huge. I my journey hasn't been one of continuous sobriety. I um, when I was five years sober, I had a knee injury, and I went to a locum doctor. It was in the weekend, and she put me on codeine. And I I never knew what was codeine like. And my attitude towards pain relief is that if one Panadol works well, then four is a lot better. So I took four thirty milligram codeines. Bang, recovery was gone. And everything went. I, I, you know, I, I'm a poly addict, so I'm addicted to pretty much anything that is mind altering. And so, over a period of time, I, I went back on the alcohol, went back on the marijuana, went back on everything. Opiates. Were, were, I was incredibly addicted to opiates. And so, it was 21 years before I came back. 21 years of daily using. You know, the whole program went out of my life. And I came. My first day of sobriety this time round was um, Christmas Eve, 2020. So I've been sober coming up two years, and your question is how it's changed my life. It has changed my life hugely because I left. Those 21 years were just hideous. I mean, I did all the things that people do in, in a 21 period. I, I got married. I got divorced. I had kids. I had grandkids. I had jobs. I bought houses. I sold, you know, all that sort of stuff that life entails. 
But within that, I was incredibly addicted to chemicals. And trying to manage my life and my family and my work life around the need to score and the need to get to a bottle store and the need to use on a daily basis is an incredibly stressful situation. <laughs> and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. But I, you know, I just refused to let go of it until I had a breaking point, which was about the 22nd of December 2020. And um, my wife, who's my, God bless her, I love her dearly, but, and she was very concerned about one particular chemical I was using. And she just had, there was a line in the sand for her, and it was like, if you cross that line, baby, you know, your third marriage is down the tubes. And I crossed that line again. And that was the starting point of recovery. And and so, um, but the beauty was, for me, and, and I really want to stress this to anyone who's out there who's tried AA and has felt as though it didn't work for them. You know, AA has always worked for people who are ready to embrace a fellowship. You know, I wasn't ready. I still went to meetings continuously over that 21-year period. I would go to meetings and then go to the bottle store. I'd go to the bottle store and then I'd go to meetings. I would, it was just, it was chaos. But I knew that when I was ready, that this fellowship, this program, these 12 steps were going to be the thing that would set me free. So when I came in um, towards the end of, right at the end of 2020, I, I sort of hit the ground running in one respect because I I knew that this thing worked. I knew what I would need to do to ensure that I was successful in my journey for recovery, and I, and I went about that with with full intensity. <laughs> and so um, I got a sponsor uh, who was very reluctant to take me on because he was a traditional alcoholic and knew nothing about drugs, and I was just all over the place. Um, but he decided after me convincing him that it was worth a shot that he took me on as a, a sponsoree, and we worked the steps together. Now, for anyone who's listening who hasn't experienced the steps, this is the crux of the program. There's meetings, which is wonderful. It's an essential part of the fellowship. But to work the steps is what sets us free, as, as you guys well know. And so we did a lot of step work, you know. And, and when we did that initial step work, the obsession for the first time in 21 years was lifted from me. We've got, I'll just re- relay this very briefly. He just had a hip replacement. I had a knee replacement. We both got down on our knees and said this small prayer. It took us about half an hour to get back up into our seats again because of our respective injuries. <laughs> but in the time that we tried to get off the ground to the seat, the obsession to use had been removed and that had not been removed for me in 21 years, you know. So the desire still came back. You know, that was there. I had to battle with that and I had to learn how to deal with that. You know, what happens when the desire, to, when I'm driving past a bottle store and the desire to use kicks in, what do I do at that particular moment? I've got two choices. I either go back down the road of destruction or I turn left and stay in recovery. And I had to learn how to do that. And it's been incredibly grateful for those difficult experiences I've had because they've toughened me up. And um, and also the other thing is too, is that, you know, they talk about service and AOA, which is what we're doing here. You know, if I don't, go, if we don't go through these tough situations in recovery, then we're less able to help others who are trying to get sober, who are going through it, you know. So I don't see any of these situations that God has presented me with these tough moments as wasted because, um there's always someone out there who's going through it, and I'll be able to say to them, mate, you'll get through it. You just got to you got to make the right turn, you know. I is described as a spiritual program. What does spirituality mean for you? Interesting question. Um, I'm what they call a born again Christian. Um, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I've been a Christian for thirty years. You know, and and being having a heart full of faith and a head full of booze creates a certain degree of talk in one's life, as it did in mine, because. The two are just polar opposites. But what it has done has saved my life because when I was hopeless, I believed in the God that had hope and faith in me. 
and on many, many dark places where I'd given up on myself, I knew that God somehow hadn't given up on me. And I, and I, and I held on to that incredibly tightly. And, you, and one of the things that I have understood and has been the biggest blessing for me in my spiritual walk is that when I came through those tough times and I came into recovery, I saw that God's love for me had never diminished in my tough times, that his unconditional love is there for me regardless of what I'm going through. And that's an incredibly important message for me to be able to take to other people because, as you guys know, when we're in the middle of addiction, our self-worth, our self-esteem, uh, it's just it just bottoms out, you know, and that's why people suicide and take their own life because they just give up on themselves, you know. So I believe in a, in a higher power for me. In AA, you can choose whatever higher power you want, and I'm totally into that. But for me, my higher power is, is absolute unconditional love regardless of the situation in my life. What would you suggest for any listeners who think they may have a drinking problem? Wow. Um, seek help. Absolutely. I suppose through my own personal experience and the observation I've made uh, with people in the fellowship over many years is that you know, we do have to be desperate to, to really affect a change in our life. So even if you are, um, have got a drinking or a drug problem um, and it hasn't really ruined your life, but you're wanting to find out, hey, look, if I really need an answer for this, where do I go? I would highly suggest you get in contact with the AA Fellowship, the 0800 number, um, or contact one of your local meetings, because uh, for me, it's been my observation, this is the most successful cure, in inverted commas, for this disease uh, in history. There's nothing else has been as successful as this problem, in my opinion. Wow. Oh, Mark, thank you. Thank you so much for My coming pleasure, um, on the show and sharing your story with us. Um, for our listeners, if you've related to any that you've anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show is every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for for listening and remember if you want to drink that's your business but if you want to stop we can help you don't have to do it alone we will now close the show with our serenity prayer as we do at every AA meeting God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference you have been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9 Thank you.